Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. Additional support comes from State Street, produced by KUER. Hosts Sean Higgins and Sage Miller take a fresh look at politics the Utah way. Get episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at statestreetpod.org. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Robert Gerke, columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune, Heidi Hatch, anchor with KUTV 2 News, and Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13 News. So glad to have you on the program this evening. A lot is happening and a lot of what happens in the future is weighing in the balance this very evening. I want to jump right into it, Heidi, starting with you. We have our federal government until tonight, Friday night, to pass a budget or shut down the government. It used to be shocking. Now it just seems like it's a rite of passage. It's fall allergies. People put up their skeletons and we talk about a government shutdown. This actually affects people's lives. It's a real issue, but it drives me nuts that it doesn't have to be. I know that we all work well under pressure and you can get done things done at the 11th hour, but it doesn't have to be done this way. It's not the best way to do it. And it's getting frustrating watching it happen and play out because there's a lot of political theater instead of the actual work we want our congressional leaders to be doing. Yeah, Max, we talk about what Congress's responsibilities. One of them yeah. is to pass yeah. this budget, but there is a lot of political theater, as Heidi has, has mentioned here. What are some of those items? What's taking up the space in these well, last minutes? You know, the, the, the person, there is one person at the center of all this, where all the pressure is, and that's Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and he, um, his job's on the line. I mean, essentially, uh, that's, you know, there, there, there is a coalition that could be put together to pass a, to pass a continuing resolution right now. The Senate's passed something. Thing. And if the House Republicans who want to avert a shutdown, they, they could get plenty of Democrats to join in with that. But if McCarthy opens that up for, as an option, he loses his votes to be speaker. And, and part of the agreement that he made when he was becoming speaker was that any person could bring him up for a vote. And if, uh, if that were to happen after he did that, he'd lose that job. And that's that. it feels like that's really what's on the line here. That's why um, we're getting to this point. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago when I went to D.C. To, to, for, to cover Washington, they were still passing appropriations bills. They had uh -huh. 13 appropriations bills. They passed yeah. them almost every year. And now it's like we just keep kicking this can down the road with continuing resolutions. We have this brinkman's, brinksmanship that always yeah. comes up. We have, you know, these small factions of, of conservative Republicans in this case who can just shut things down because there's, it's a, it's a balanced, you know, it's a 50-50 mm -hmm. Washington. But, you know, and, and maybe in some respects it's going to be a good thing because it's going to remind people the things the government does that they're going to miss when they're gone, things like national parks. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's also going to impact a lot of people too because there yeah. are a lot of people who rely on some of, some of these programs for their, their right. well-being. I want to get to a couple of those. Heidi, maybe we talk about sort of that brinksmanship idea here and what's, what the posturing has been from some of our own elected officials. I want to bring up a, a tweet from Senator Mike Lee this week about this very issue. You Maybe you can even tell us what he's alluding to in this particular statement. This is from Senator Mike Lee. He says, no one wants a shutdown, but there are no harmless options on the table. 
if there's a meaningful chance that 15 days could stop the spread of massive deficit spending, which is impoverishing America's poor and middle class, that option should be considered. What's this 15 days and what are these options he's telling us we should look into? Is it into? too soon for pandemic jokes? But that's what he's talking about, you know, the 15 days to stop the spread, which obviously didn't happen. And I think he's saying, you know, what if we had a couple weeks to, you know, yeah. work this out and maybe that would get us to the point we need to be. But what we have to remember is if you look up in the Ogden area, we have IRS employees, a lot of them yeah. making $15 mm -hmm. an hour. And while they're furloughed, they'll all eventually get their paychecks. If you're making $15 an hour, you're probably living pretty close to paycheck to paycheck. So 15 days is a long time when you don't know if you're getting that paycheck and if you can make your bills. So, well, it may be enough for them to get whatever side they want, whether it's Democrats or Republicans in Congress. It's hurting the little people at home in Utah who need to buy groceries, pay yeah. the rent, and just do life. Yeah, go ahead, Robert. When that first clause of his quote there, no one wants to shut down, I think he does want to shut down. I mean, he voted against the, the, the spending package, the continuing resolution that passed the Senate that's, that's mm -hmm. going to die in the House, presumably. Um, I think, you know, Matt Gates is of the world want to shut down. It's, it, there are some people who want this shutdown, and, and it gives them leverage, I think, to start negotiating a little harder to try mm -hmm. to get some spending cuts like Mike Lee's trying to do. Um, is that right? Is that wrong? As I, think, I think, to Heidi's point, absolutely. There are people who are going to be profoundly impacted. Yeah. by this. Yeah, Max, last time this happened, mm -hmm. uh, our national parks had a serious hit and the state had to step in. Yeah. Talk about what happened then mm -hmm. and what Governor Cox is already saying he wants to do now. Well, the, the state spent, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, it was somewhere, somewhere around $40,000 to keep the parks open, um, and, uh, and and they haven't gotten paid back. Mm -hmm. But uh, you think about those communities outside the parks, and that's the that's the big concern, is that you got a, a Springdale or a Moab yeah. or um, or a Tory, you know, and, and those, are, those are places that really rely on the revenue that comes from um, visitors to those parks. Uh, but, so Utah wants to keep those open. Uh, I know that uh, that our delegation wants some assurances that the federal government will pay back because that didn't happen last time. Yeah, in fact, Heidi, Senator Lee this week has introduced some legislation saying that the Department of Interior shall pay back the state of Utah if we incur some expenses. And I think that went up for a vote and failed. There's been uh, several resolutions where they were trying to make it less bad if they did go into a government mm -hmm. shutdown. But all of these resolutions, I think, in the minds of voters, when you're talking to them at home, they're like, what did you do over your summer vacation? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you come up with the amendments then why did we not start working through it? Well, this is just how Congress works, and that brinksmanship is sort of how we do business now, but it's definitely not the gold standard, and it hurts people. It definitely affects people. I think when you look at the numbers, the National Park Service, every dollar that goes into the parks, $15 will be made in those smaller communities that Max was talking about. And so there's a large ripple effect when we get to this brinksmanship, mm -hmm. which, again, is how we do business. But is there a way we can pull back from this and mm -hmm. stop living in the continuing resolution world? Absolutely. Right. And, I, and that's, that's a great point. I, th I think um, and another point is that um, Aside from the national parks, I mean, maybe we keep the national parks open um, by the state stepping in. But um, Robert and I were, were talking earlier about uh, being on the San Juan River um, and the, the, this past summer and spring, and both of us ha have been there. And when you when you're going there, I'm you, sad I didn't get an invite. Rude. Uh, next time, <laughs> next time I've got room. Um, and and so uh, when you uh, w but when you put in for a permit, uh, you get a call back from a, a BLM river ranger, and there they talk you through everything, all the policies that you have to go through. Um, Robert camped at the put in, you know, before going, and there are facilities there. 
And for folks who are local, these beautiful places in Utah that aren't in national parks are on federal land. The campgrounds are federal. Those are places that don't get yeah. uh, someone to step in and, and keep them open. And so there are a whole lot of people um, who are listening to us right now who maybe have a campground reservation for fall break yeah. and wonder if they're going to be able to go. Very much up in the air now. And it does seem like this is the new normal. Like we're, we just keep seeing this over and over. Like Heidi said, it's an annual thing, even more often than annual yeah. now, because these resolutions often are only six months at a time. It's, you know, it, it's it's no way to run a government. Yeah. And I think, they're, I think hopefully and we should be able to do better. Just one other thing, when you talk about the folks up in August, in, working at IRS and those things, uh, it's almost more of a curse to be considered necessary and to have to stay at work because the folks who are doing that, like people in the military even, um, they, they work, but they don't get a paycheck until the government starts operating fully again. And that's, and everybody ultimately gets paid after these things are done. And so the folks who, who are said that they're, you know, who, who are necessary to keep working, they, they really suffer. Yeah. My, my father was an air traffic controller. Uh, exactly yeah. that same thing, right? Yeah. You know, when there is a government shutdown, he's still got to go to work, mm -hmm. but you know, you feel it in, in the home, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun to have to tighten the belt and, and you don't want back on things. your dad to be unfocused and, and, uh, and, you know, upset while he's doing that yeah. job. Right. It sends the wrong message sure. to a lot of those families that do serve. I saw a couple of people posting on lives, wives who have husbands who are in the military saying, you know, they're living in third world countries, camping out. We'll get our paychecks, but it's delayed while we're also sending money to Ukraine so they can pay their bills, but then we're not paying the service members yeah. here. So it's mixed messaging, I think, that's frustrating. Uh, before we leave this one entirely, since you're talking about these impacts, and there are many, my question for you is really this. Uh, when, when Utahns and Americans look at it, who are they blaming? We, we have some idea from last time, but who, who, who's to blame, you think, in the I minds of who you're talking to? I think probably a couple to? dozen super conservative Republicans huh. in the House right now, but it kind of depends on who the president is and who the opposition party is. So I think maybe Republicans will get the blame this it, time. It feels like since the Senate's passed, passed a bill, the House is going to kill it, and it's this small group, like you said, yeah. of conservative uh -huh. Republicans. I think they probably get most of the blame, but I think it's also like you've heard from us today. It's a pox on both their houses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to do better. We send you there to do one job and you can't do it. It's your most fundamental thing Congress is supposed to do mm -hmm. and they and they can't even manage that. It's I think people rightly are disillusioned with the system. Yeah, but, but Max, a couple of them are going to be campaigning on this very issue, aren't they? Oh, Which yeah. side they take on this one. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how they, because most of the messaging in this is is about budget and reining things in, and that's what you hear from Senator Lee. Um, but a lot of it is also about border security, and that's what um, Burgess Owens, who's going to, who's very much on that conservative mm -hmm. side of these things, is saying that, you know, in, in his uh, talking about why he doesn't want to just continue this is because he wants a more more border security and that's a that's a whole lot to put yeah. on one issue well, to yeah. my point about the you know people being disillusioned I think that's why you see people like John Curtis trying to pass this resolution that says we're not going to get paid until there's a budget in yeah. place and I think you know you look at that and people are sitting at home like well that makes sense if I'm not doing my yeah. job I'm not going to get paid for it right so I, it, there doesn't seem to be much support for that he's tried it before yeah. but you know I think it, it resonates with people for the reason that you know, we all have to do our work, you know, mm -hmm. and if we don't do it, we're not going to, we're not going to get our money. Yeah. Heidi, you mentioned just a moment ago, one of the, one of the items being discussed as part of these, these budget negotiations is Ukraine, the amount of money that we are sending there. We have a student that has submitted a question. I'd love you to take the, the first shot at the answer for the, from, from Maddie at the University of Utah. My name is Maddie Hare. I'm a senior at the University of Utah, majoring in economics, political science, 
health society and policy, and psychology. My question is on the issue of Ukraine. Republicans seem to be divided on whether or not we should lend our resources to Ukraine. Do you think that supporting Ukraine advances American interests? If so, to what extent should we support them? I think that Utahns recognize that having a stable world and a peace in some of these important mm -hmm. countries is important to the stability of the rest of the world. But I think there's frustration because people don't really know why we're in it, what we're getting out of it. I think in the early days, there was real concern for the people of Ukraine. We opened our doors and homes saying, you know, come here if you need someplace, you need safety. But I think there's just been changes along the way where we'll do this, but we won't do that. And then we just keep moving in the direction of saying we wouldn't. So people are wondering, what are we doing? What is our money going to? If it's going there, are we still taking care of things at home? So I think people genuinely care about Ukraine, but at the same time, too, they care about what's happening in their own families and neighborhoods and don't know where that balance should go. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, people like Senator Lee, they don't want this to be an open-ended blank check. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to see a resolution to this. We don't know how long this is going to last and how much, how many more millions of dollars are going to be going there. At the same time, and it was even brought up, and we're going to talk about the, the presidential debate later, but even in the Republican presidential debate, I think Mike Pence said every time, every, you know, a win for Russia's, or, or if we let Ukraine fall, it helps China, it helps Russia, it weakens the United States. And so even, I think, conservative Republicans see that there is national interest in, in trying to maintain uh, balance in, mm -hmm. in, in the Ukraine-Russia, uh, uh, you know, paradigm. So um, I, I think it would be a huge mistake, personally, if, for us to walk away from it and let Ukraine fall. And without the United States support, that would certainly be the outcome. And it seems like there's a certain, um, uh, there's a certain sense in this, like when you ask, can, will we ever get out of it? Is it just a, a blank check? Well, the, the big uncertainty here is that it's a, it's a war that started um, in a system that's run by just one man. Um, um, where it's a Vladimir Putin in this case, and and um, and so when when it's just the the whims of one person who that that can do this, mm -hmm. um, then it's uh, it's something it's hard to say. Yeah, we're going to capitulate. We're going to let that happen, um, especially in in a Europe where uh, so many of our allies are are on the borders of Ukraine already, and and that's a scary thing to think a NATO country would suddenly get involved with this or would get invaded. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's in in a sense uh, defending a democratic nation that's been invaded by one man, really. Well, that's why, uh, Robert, it's interesting you see, uh, like, Senator Mike Lee even putting out a tweet saying, this is our flag, and this one is not. Yeah. Uh, our flag, the United States flag versus that of Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, but Mike Lee also, at the start of the war, called Vladimir uh, uh, Zelensky uh, uh, the Martin Luther King of his country, right? And so he was very much in favor of it. Now, as it's dragged on, I think he's lost his will. And and I think that's a mistake. I mean, I think, you know, we, we need to be a counterbalance to Russia. We can't let nations fall under... Putin's boot, and and if if Senator Lee had his way, that's exactly what would happen. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Zelensky was an exciting GI Joe at the beginning of it, but then when you take a step back, I think people realize that they want Ukraine to be stable, they don't want Russia to take over, but they're not positive that the money is going to be used wisely with Zelensky because you know the government may not be completely clean in using the money in yeah. ways we would ask them to. Yeah. Well, this issue is so important that it did get right into the Republican debate this week. Mm -hmm. Became something that many of the candidates are talking about how they would resolve it, where they are with the two of you. I'd like to play just a, a video clip here for just a moment that gives some of the high-level themes. And if you will look at this, and Max, if you'll answer the question, kind of through the, the Utah lens, which issues are resonating? 
As seven GOP presidential hopefuls took the stage at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library Wednesday night, the party's frontrunner was once again absent. Donald Trump is missing in action. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are suffering. With a smaller stage down one from their last debate, the candidates fought to break through. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges we should have a focus on the issues that matter. The man at the center lectern, Ron DeSantis, went into the night with a lot to prove. Once considered the party's best hope of dethroning former President Donald Trump, the Florida governor has lost ground in recent polls. As commander-in-chief, I'm going to use the U.S. military to go after the Mexican drug cartels. They are killing our people. After memorably clashing with several rivals in Milwaukee, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy said his goal this time around was to stress his policies and positions. Unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear energy, put people back to work. And former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley looked to build on the momentum her campaign received from the previous debate. We need to make sure we put 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. In Los Angeles, I'm Mike Valerio. A lot there, Max. There, uh, a lot there. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in terms of the the rhetoric, I'm not. I'm not sure about the substance that's mm -hmm. all there. And there's this gravitational pull from the front runner um, that uh, draws so much attention uh, that I'm not sure. You know, you were asking before we saw that what resonates in Utah. I don't know, um, because I'm not sure how much attention is being paid to that debate. Not a whole lot of uh, people viewing that this early on. It seems like there's not enough air in the room for any of them. Mm -hmm. The person who's gotten the most um, uh, the most support from Utah politicians is Ron DeSantis, um, and he seems to be falling back. Um, and so uh, this Utah hasn't been a big Donald Trump state for a red state, but it's he's at the center of things and it's such an odd circumstance yeah. because he's also at the center of four major lawsuits or or criminal cases i i hadn't watched the debate until i heard that we were going to be discussing yes. it so <laughs> i watched it last Robert. night and i'm never going to forgive you for that <laughs> uh it was painful to watch i mean the, the talking over each other nobody really distinguished themselves nobody looked like a leader i don't mm. think um but i think the the border issue was a big one that i think resonates in utah and they talked a lot about managing the debt, controlling uh -huh. the debt. Um, but yeah, I think for, by and large, I think very few people were watching it because mm -hmm. it was hard to watch and, and only people who are like really tuned into politics are gonna sit through two hours of people shouting at each other. Um, and, and so I don't think anybody emerged as a winner. I think Nikki Haley had an opportunity to pr distinguish herself and Vivek Ramaswamy had a chance to kind of build on his yeah. first performance where I think he stood out. Um, but I don't think anybody did. And I, I, so in terms of, in terms of putting a dent in Trump's, you know, patina, I don't think, I don't think that worked. Mm -hmm. Hi, right before we leave this one, uh, everyone mentions the fact that Trump is not there. Does that mean, is he winning by not I get, participating? I think he's winning, but somehow he is because we're still talking about him. Yeah. He's getting his message out there. But the thing is, as well, people aren't listening and it's frustrating to listen right now. We may really need to be paying close attention because when you look at President Biden and former President Trump, they both have some political balls and chains around their ankles yeah. that may literally take them out of the race in the next year. And
and we're going to have to look to who's on the bench. Who do we want to move forward possibly? Yeah. And so these debates matter, but yeah, it was too much squabbling for my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this week. I mean, just uh, the talking over the bickering. I don't. I don't think that looks presidential. Yeah. And so, you're, to your point, yeah, I think Trump elevating himself, staying above the fray, which is something that's probably very out of character for him, <laughs> if we, you know, mm -hmm. looking at his history. But like, I think that's uh, that helps him. There, there would be nothing to gain for him by being there. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about the bench a little bit now, too, because Utah is going to be in play once again. Whoever's in the White House can have it be impacted by who's in our Senate seat and maybe our congressional seats. So, Max, I want to start talking about mm -hmm. what's going to happen in Utah. We've, we've, we've had some movement this week yeah. uh, on the person that will take Senator Mitt Romney's uh, position. Uh, let's talk first. The Speaker of the House officially announced this week. Talk about Speaker Brad Wilson, mm -hmm. his approach, his announcement. You know, uh, it feels like a pretty skillful approach that he's taken. There's almost this sense that uh, uh, he, he's acting kind of inevitable in a way, and, and I don't think that's the case. But he's going forward, he's saying, I'm thinking about running, and then, and then he makes an announcement that he's going to have an announcement. And as he announces, he's surrounded by politicians, uh, Republicans in office from different parts of mostly the Wasatch Front, but still, uh, well, Morgan County's kind of Wasatch back or Wasatch in the canyon. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's, uh, but um, that, you know, he, he clearly is at the center of things right now. Now, if a John Curtis, uh, Representative Curtis were to, were to jump in, that's somebody else who has that um, kind of level of visibility who yeah. would, uh, who would also be a real contender. There's so many people. When you have an open Senate seat, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that everybody who's ever thought about it wants to jump in on. That's yeah, so true. It's so rare to have this open window like this. Go ahead, I Robert. was going to say, yeah, when Senator Romney ran, it was technically an open seat, but he'd already kind of been anointed, you know, he had to challenger but yeah we, we don't see these very often I've always thought that the Speaker of the House always thinks they're more well-known and well-liked yeah. than yeah. they are because if you think about it the last Speaker of the House who actually won a statewide office I believe correct me if I'm wrong was Norm Bangeter mm -hmm. um, Rob Bishop run yeah. a congressional yeah. seat but I you know they we've had people try to run Greg Hughes for example mm -hmm. and they just aren't as well-known or well-liked as they think they are because they're so used to everybody at the Capitol yeah. you know yeah. kissing up to them and then it comes time to put their name on a ballot statewide and 80 90 percent of the people that they're, they're trying to get to vote for them don't even know who they are so I think if John Curtis gets in the race, I think that's a game changer. I don't think Brad's uh, frozen out the field and solidified his support the way he needed to. I've, I still think there's a chance Jason Chaffetz gets in the race, which would be a big name to, to challenge him. And so, you know, Brad looks good right now, and I agree with Max that he's done everything right up to this point, but it's still uh, it's still mm -hmm. far from being decided. Yeah, I think it's a hard translation. Like you said, he's a big fish in a small pond, but I think when you step away from Capitol Hill and ask the average everyday Utah who the Speaker of the House is, they probably couldn't answer that question. So I think he has his work cut out for him, and I think we're going to have a long list, seven, yeah. eight candidates possibly. Well, Heidi, what happens if John Curtis does jump in? Because he's been in this position for a little while, has a bigger constituency uh, that have, have interacted with him, how does that change the race? I don't know if he would be the odds-on favorite either, because I think that he, in his congressional time, has been fairly quiet compared to some of the other members, where I don't think he's been out there uh, selling his name and his brand. So I definitely think he'd have a leg up in that he's in office already, but I don't know that he's a for-sure deal either. So I think mm -hmm. it's really open. The name we haven't mentioned yet, I mean, Blake Moore, I've heard, is, is also still considering it. Um, but Tim Ballard yeah. was the guy that looked like he might actually make some noise because he had this big 
movie about him. He had this following mm -hmm. for his child trafficking work, um, but his <laughs> he's oh. fallen apart spectacularly. With the I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to envision a guy running for Senate when the LDS Church has branded him morally unacceptable. I mean, those hit pieces mm -hmm. write themselves at that point. And so I think I think his campaign has kind of fallen apart with these with these allegations of the sexual misconduct and and you know the shady business dealings. You know, and and I think that that's absolutely true. And then uh, we can get more into Tim Ballard, but but I did want to say that a Ballard or I mean maybe a Chaffetz, but um, in the Republican Party of today, who's the Trumpy candidate? You know, who's the, who's the candidate who's on that end Trump of things? Stags, but he doesn't have Trump a lot of names. Stags doesn't have yeah. yeah, yeah, and so um, because Brad Wilson and John Curtis don't fit that bill so much. Yeah. So so what are the lanes then? I mean, talk about the Tim Ballard factor for a second, Heidi, because you've been doing some great reporting on this thing too. And keep in mind through this context, uh, our Attorney General Sean Reyes, I think at one point thought was he was going to endorse Tim Ballard, but just this week came out through one of his, his spokespeople saying he. Sean is not going to support Tim Ballard. What does that mean in, in context? Well, I think that there's been a lot of oxygen going towards this conversation in Utah because Tim Ballard's been made into a superstar of sorts with this movie coming out. And I think even in the last election, there's been a lot of talk about human trafficking, which I think is an extremely important issue. But uh, there, it, there's created some deep divides of where people back him and don't. And oddly enough, I think if he were saying he were getting in the race today, there would still be a lot of people who support him and don't yeah. believe these allegations. So I don't know. It's all very confusing. Some people say that he wasn't even intending to run for the Senate, and it was just a way for him to say this was a political hit, knowing that the deck of cards was going to start following the dominoes falling against him at some point, and it would be a way for him to in some ways defend himself, but definitely not great for Sean Reyes either, who'd alluded to supporting uh -huh. him. Uh, Robert, just give us in our, our last few seconds on this, uh, sort of the path here, because we've been talking about the conservative candidates, the moderate candidates. Yeah. It looks like some are kind of stacking up on top of each other. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if Curtis and Wilson both get into the race, then that they are kind of competing for the same voters, I think. Trent Staggs is definitely trying to, as Heidi mentioned, trying to define himself as the Trump candidate, but he's not, he's not getting, you know, he's not that high profile. He has had a Carrie Lake came and campaigned yeah. for him, yeah, which right. is a pretty big name um, in that world. Uh, and so I think there is still room, as we've been talking about here, for other candidates to get in, a, a Jason yeah. Chaffetz or a Blake Moore or somebody like that. That's going to have to be a, so much to follow. Thank you for your insights this evening. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.